All right, so we are finishing out our study in the book of Jonah, and we'll be in chapter 4 today, Jonah chapter 4, I'm going to take on the whole thing. Uh, so let's read together first, and then we'll kind of talk about where we're going to go in this. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, I'm going to put the text up on the screen behind me. And then we also always try to have a stash of Bibles in the back. There's a table actually that says grab a Bible. Very descriptive. You can grab one and borrow it or even keep it if you'd like. If you've got a friend that needs a Bible, bring it home and give it to that friend. So let's go ahead and read chapter 4. We, we get a lot of reveals about some fun things that we finally get to understand about Jonah. So let's just read it first and then check it out. But... It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, <coughs> and he said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might, shade, uh, it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm. <coughs> the worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. <coughs> and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And one of the weirdest, most abrupt endings to a book. And cattle. Where's the beef? It's in Nineveh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, man, we've seen Jonah the reluctant prophet. Uh, Jonah, the discouraged prophet, the depressed prophet, the rebellious prophet. Um, this week, we're also going to see the pouting prophet, the melodramatic prophet, the judgmental prophet, and the hateful prophet, and the selfish prophet. The, the story, uh, I, I mean, really, Jonah's supposed to make us shake our heads and go, oh, my goodness, this guy. But we might just have a little more in common with Jonah than we'd like to admit. Starting out at the beginning, we see that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. 
That's the English translation. The literal translation is this. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil. Evil, a great evil. Evil two times to stress the emphasis. <coughs> it's the strongest you could state it in the Hebrew that Jonah was upset. He was angry. What made him angry? Well, it's that verse that we didn't get to read because it was the end of last week's text, so we'll read it right now. When God saw what they did, having uh, what they did was that the Ninevites repented, put on sackcloth and ashes, they turned from their sin, and they said, this is not okay. And it was all of them, from young to old, from rich to poor, from important to absolutely uh, worthless to the society. It was everyone who repented of their sin. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The message that he gave to Jonah was, tell the people of Nineveh 40 more days, and I will destroy you. Now, there was a little bit of hope, a little glimmer of hope in that message, and that in their language, the word for destroy or annihilate or overturn could also mean turn their hearts. And so it very much could have been heard by the Assyrian, by the Ninevites, 40 more days, and everything's going to get turned upside down one way or the other. And they responded, well, we want it to be the other. <laughs> we don't want to be destroyed, and our sin is grievous, and we're ready to repent. This made Jonah angry. This was apparently completely disgusting to him that God would relent from this disaster. God turned away from his anger. Jonah turned to anger. You see the juxtaposition there. It should bother you. It should bother me to see God's mercy and grace and to somehow say that's evil. It was evil to Jonah, a great evil. Somehow he saw mercy and grace as evil. This is the first time, by the way, if you've been through it, we've tried not to reveal Jonah's motives in this story, why he ran, why he refused to go to Nineveh in the first place, why he was rebelling. Well, now we're finally getting to see what the motive was. He says, isn't this what I said to you, God, when I was in my country? Now, that wasn't recorded in chapter 1 for us. We didn't get to know that. The author wanted us to wait. But we finally get a glimpse into how things went down with Jonah and God. Jonah's like, well, you want me to go to Nineveh, those really evil, gross, disgusting people who deserve death, destruction and mayhem, and you want me to preach to them, but they're probably going to repent. And then you're probably going to spare them, and I don't want you to. I want him to go down in flames. That's what Jonah wanted in his heart. And apparently he had a conversation with God when God first talked to him about this. <sighs> then he quotes this. He says, listen, here's how I knew that you would relent from the disaster. He says, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Uh, those words in the Hebrew are very familiar. <coughs> I 
to any Jew, they would be familiar. To any of you who've studied the Old Testament, you've heard these, these words quoted in this way. And almost every other time, it's praise. It's worship at the amazing character of God. The fact that he's gracious. Grace means unmerited favor. When I don't deserve it one bit, when I deserve judgment, he shows favor on me. Who does that? God does that. Mercy is the opposite. It's when I deserve judgment, he withholds it. Grace and mercy. This is the God. He's slow to anger. He wants people to repent. He's abounding in steadfast love. He waits as long as he can because he wants people to turn from their ways. This is God. That's a God to worship. Amen? And yet this characteristic of God, this, who he was, makes Jonah angry. He was happy to accept God's salvation. He was happy to accept God's salvation through the whale, <laughs> through being spit up onto the seashore and his mercy from what he should have just died and been destroyed in the sea. His grace that God would then give him a second time the command to go and preach to the Ninevites when instead God should have been done with Jonah. But he loathes the fact that God extends his salvation to the Ninevites. And this is how far gone Jonah is. His prayer is for death. His prayer. I mean, prayer is a noble thing. It's a wonderful thing. In prayer, we get to communicate with the God of the universe. In prayer, we should be listening so that prayer doesn't just convince God of something, but it convinces me of something. Did you catch that? Prayer is a time of communication where typically, far more often than me bending God's will to mine, he is bending my will to his, and my prayers become according to his heart or in his name. We throw that phrase around, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, but do we really think about it? Prayer means that we're talking to God just as Jesus would if he were in our shoes. That's what it means. It's not just a salutation at the end of my prayer, in Jesus' name, amen, in Jesus' name, amen, in Jesus' name, amen. But because I'm a creature that gets kind of used to habits and, and rote, sometimes I just say it that way, in Jesus' name, amen. Doesn't mean I'm evil for saying it that way, but I do need a reminder from time to time that my prayers are to be according to the will of Jesus himself and in his name. For Jonah to say, God, it's better for me to die than to live is not a prayer in Jesus' name. It is a prayer of a spiteful man and a bitter man who is not thinking about the heart of God. And he just gives up, and he's like, God, just kill me. He doesn't just hate the Ninevites. He's so ticked off that he hates his own life. And I think in this moment, he may even hate God. What I love is that God doesn't even acknowledge his request. He simply <laughs> says, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? 
Other ways to say this? So anger, huh? How's that working out for you? Jonah, how's that whole scene? What right do you have to be angry? God could be saying, or maybe even does your anger satisfy you like you thought it would? (laughs) That one stings, doesn't it? When we get into that angry place, we try to seek revenge. Boy, I'm guilty of road rage, guys. I'm just going to confess it in front of you right now. I get so irritated when somebody just cuts me off. And yet I'm so happy when I can sneak in and narrowly avoid and and they let me in. (laughs) No, I I cut them off apparently. I can get angry like that and I want to do something. I want to get in front of them. I want to hit my brakes real hard to freak them out. Ah, Take that, driver man. Vengeance is mine, saith the Kevin. I mean, I get so angry. And I could just hear God going, did that satisfy you like you thought it would, Kev? Do you do well to be angry at the driver of the car? You're all on the same team. You're trying to get somewhere. Work like it, Kevin. And I'm just angry. And that's tiny, guys. This is a tiny example for us to all go, oh, yeah, maybe that's me, too, because there's deeper ones. There's people that have hurt you and done real harm to your heart. People that have hurt you spiritually, people that have hurt you physically, emotionally, verbally, sexually, people that have done great harm to you and you are and I am angry, and I want them to get their just desserts so badly. And God just might be saying to us this morning, do you do well to be angry? Or would you do better to be merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? really a scathing rebuke to me. (laughs) Kevin, do you do well to be angry? Chronologically, what I think happens here in this story, there's there's some weird um, there's some weird segues and things that go on. I think what's going on is that this scene is right after Jonah leaves the city and that the scene we just looked at is kind of the final scene. So what I think happens is as he says, do you well, do well to be angry, uh, he's reminded of the story. And so we hear this story of what happened right after Jonah preached, okay? <coughs> so he just preached. The whole city responded in this amazing way. Uh, and it wasn't just a change of heart, but a change of action. And it was a true mourning over sin. And I tell you what, I prayed that for all of us this week. Because last week's text was really powerful. When we see sin... And we, when we notice it in our life, when it gets exposed to us, we should grieve. And my prayer all week was that you guys would be grieving. Weird prayer for your people. But it was my prayer for myself, too. That all week long that the Lord would just be impressing upon us the weight of our sin and how serious our sin is and that it would grieve us. That that would be our mind frame when it comes to our own sin. 
But so he preached. The whole city saw their sin for what it was. They turned. And yet you can see what happened because apparently Jonah still hoped that they'd be destroyed. He goes out of the city and he finds a place with a good view to watch the fire and brimstone fall down. That's what appears to be happening here. He goes outside the city so he'd be safe. And I don't know if it was the full 40 days he waited out there to see when God was going to strike them all down, but he was hoping to eat some popcorn and watch a good movie of destruction. Gross, huh? That's what he hoped to do. Um, he makes a shelter or a booth for himself. Uh, there's some interesting Old Testament connotations I don't even have time to get into about when they would make booths for themselves and how this is a massive juxtaposition, a massively contrary way that we would use a booth. But um, he just wants to get something built real fast, something that will get him by for 40 days so he can watch the mayhem. Apparently, though, he was no Bear Grylls or Tim the Toolman Taylor because his booths sucked. He was a bad builder. Uh, there, there really wasn't a lot of leafy stuff in the area. It was really dry and it was really hot. Wood was rare and very expensive. Who knows what he made this little shelter out of, but it was like when your five-year-old goes out and builds a fort in the woods. It's not good. It's not good. So God appoints, and that word should trigger something in our brains, appoints a plant to shade him. You might remember that God had appointed a mighty wind. He had appointed uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh. He had appointed a fish to swallow Jonah and puke him back up. We got to see fish puke. It was great. Um, so this word appoint, again, very much something that the author wants us to think of. God appointed this plant to come up and shade him. And it was miraculous, too. It was a... It was a a leaf, it was a big leaf, and it came up in just a day and was big enough to shade him. Now, it doesn't say that Jonah acknowledged God in this. It just says he was exceedingly glad. And this is the first time in the entire book Jonah has been happy because of a plant that made him feel better. He likes the shade from this plant. Again, a plant growing and a leaf big enough to cover you from shade in this area, in this climate, it's impossible. It's a miracle. Jonah may not have even noticed the miraculous nature of it because he sure doesn't turn to praise to God. He's just really happy he feels better. But when dawn comes up the next day, God then appointed a worm, probably a caterpillar is what we guess, to come up and chew on this plant. Nom, 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 yum, leafy plant. We don't have many of these in the desert. And it eats it up and it destroys the plant that was making Jonah so very happy. He also appoints a scorching west wind, or east wind, I should say. And talk about the double emphasis on a point. He's appointing, appointing, appointing. He appoints both the comfort of our lives and he appoints the trials of our lives. We need to understand that. Now, some uh, historical theologians and, and scientists and all that have, have likened this to a modern-day heat called the Scirocco. You might remember the Volkswagen Scirocco. Just a mighty, mighty car. Uh, it's this constant hot air 
And if any of you guys have spent time in the Middle East, which I think some of you have as soldiers especially, this, this wind is harsh. It, it's just hot, hot air. It's full of these positive ions that just suck the serotonin out of you. They literally um, mess with your brain neurotransmitters. I mean, this is a bad wind, okay? So I don't want to sell this short. This is probably a really bad wind, and Jonah is feeling now physically miserable, so much so that he wanted to die. Now, I don't know if you've ever been that miserable. I'm one of those guys that gets the flu, and I want to die. I, I'm just like, this is the worst. Just kill me now. I mean, I think I have a high pain threshold other, sometimes. Other times I realize I'm a total wuss. But, man, he is bad. He is in this bad state, and he says, God, take my life take my life. It's better for me to die than to live. And this is likely the first time that God says to him, do you do well to be angry with a plant? Do you do well to be angry for the plant? God has the right to deliver. God has the right to destroy because he's God and I'm not. Jonah in full tantrum mode, he's just like, yeah, I do do well. And God said, you said do do. <laughs> no, that probably didn't happen. I'm sorry. Uh, sacrilegious. <laughs> I do well. Yeah, I am angry and I'm angry enough to die. The story is supposed to be an illustration to Jonah, and all he's doing is pouting and fretting. God gives the zinger. He's like, yeah, you pity this plant because it did something for you. It made you feel better. You don't even really care about the plant. You say you pity the plant for which you didn't labor. You didn't plant this plant. You didn't cause the plant to grow. You have no responsibility for the plant, and yet you're so worried about the plant because it did something for you. But you don't have any pity on people. At least care about the cattle. I mean, they're more important than a plant. And the, bo the book just ends abruptly. As quickly as it began, it ends. And it ends with us seeing the folly of Jonah who cared more about a plant than he did about people and souls. And the point is that we're supposed to just recoil at Jonah. <laughs> to be like, holy cow, I know people like that. I'm definitely not like, to just kind of try to distance ourselves from him. Isn't that what we try to do? His attitude is horrendous and horrible. And yet, I am Jonah. And you are Jonah. But we don't have to be. Jonah despised God's deliverance of the Ninevites. We are to celebrate God's deliverance of others. Again, Jonah was fine with God being a deliverer of Israel. He had experienced God's mercy, his deliverance personally. 
And God designed his deliverance and his mercy and his grace for anyone who would accept him. But sometimes you and I are guilty of trying to withhold God's deliverance. I think we're guilty of this when, like Jonah, we see people as tools rather than souls. Jonah really loved this plant because it did something nice for him. It was useful to him. The Ninevites, not useful to Jonah at all. So we take what's useful to us and we value it, and we take what is not useful to us and we just say, meh, ugh, gross. So we're guilty of being Jonah <coughs> when we're selfish. When we care about ourselves and how we feel and our comforts and our wealth and our position far more than we care about people's souls who need Jesus. We're guilty of being Jonah when we use people instead of thinking about their eternity. We're also guilty of being Jonah when we harbor unforgiveness in our hearts. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, they had done wicked and evil things to the Israelites. I mean, wicked, violent, vile things, horrible things. I'm not saying that they were just, you know, it was the difference between being from Lacey or from Tumwater. Oh, yeah, go Lacey, go Rams. Boo, Tumwater. It's not that kind of hatred. Talking about real grievances, real pain, relatives that may have been killed by that people. Those people, family members that may have been raped, were robbed by those people. I mean, I'm, these are egregious, egregious things. And you have been sinned against. And there are people, again, as we talked about earlier, that you were like, I kind of just think they deserve to go to hell. To go to eternity not knowing Jesus. Because they have hurt me. They've hurt people I love. I can't stand that person and we hold on to the unforgiveness and the bitterness, and we kind of would just rather see them go to eternity. We don't like to think about it that way because that would just reveal our hearts a little bit too much. But when we really dig deep down, we do think of them that way. And I think God wants to break our hearts this morning for those that we are embittered against. I think God wants to see a people who are praying for those who have hurt us to know Jesus in his grace and his mercy and to be changed forever. One of the hardest prayers in the world to pray. Lord, save the soul of that person that wounded me deeply. Lord, save the soul of that person that wounded my child. Lord, save the soul of that person that hurt my parents. Save them. They need mercy just as much as I do. Save them. We're a lot more like Jonah than we, we like to admit. We do it actively. We do it passively. I think the passive way is probably one of the most egregious. It may not be that there's someone you really hate or that you're embittered against and God's asking you to save them to share the gospel with them, to be obedient, to preach to them. It, it might be that it's just the people that you interact with every day. It's the person that sits in the cubicle next to yours. It's 
the person who shares a fence in the backyard across from you guys. It's it's the person that's the nurse in the room where your dad's being cared for. It's any number of people that God's saying, share the gospel with them. Tell them what you believe. Ask them what they believe. Tell them the good news. Tell them the bad news. Talk to them about me. Have a spiritual conversation. And we just kind of go, la, 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 la. We're so scared or we're so intimidated or we're so distracted. That we don't take opportunities for the people in front of us that need Jesus. It could be the passive hatred for people whose souls are headed to eternity that is the most egregious because we don't have to have a guilty conscience about it, do we? We don't have to think about that. We don't have to face it. We can just play another round of Tomb Blast. Think about that because it makes me feel good. I am Jonah, but I don't have to be.